This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. World War II radio podcast. Today we have the next segment of Nazi Eyes on Canada, a multi-week radio play produced by the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. The series warns Canadians of the danger of Germany and imagines a future where the Nazis have conquered Canada. This episode aired on October 18, 1942 and stars Vincent Price and Judith Evelyn. The World War II radio podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And thanks for listening, and enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The National War Finance Committee and your community presents Judith Evelyn and Vincent Price, stars of the current New York State success, Angel Street, in Nazi eyes on Canada. A German spy... A servant of General Haushofer's notorious geopolitical institute. A man who called himself Colin Ross. Spied out Canada. Studied our strength. Surveyed our weaknesses. And then wrote a book for the German public. Telling them of what he had learned about us. And how easy we would be to divide and conquer. That book, not yet published in English, but translated by Duncan and Lyle Cameron as a basis for this program, gave us an understanding of how much the Axis powers want Canada for their own. It is significant that Colin Ross dismissed the land west of the Rocky Mountains as being in the Japanese sphere of influence. To his Japanese allies, the Nazi master tosses a part of our nation as a reward for cooperation. What would the Japanese do with British Columbia, its people, its wealth of resources, if they were ever to conquer Canada? Tonight, Miss Judith Evelyn and Mr. Vincent Price bring us the story of two typical young Canadians, the story of past and present times in their life together, and the story of what might happen to them if we were to lose this war. It is the story of very real people, Holly Metcalf and Bob Maxwell of Vancouver, British Columbia. It begins a few years ago. There you are. Ten gallons. Oil okay? Yeah, I had a change yesterday. Uh, three ten. Yeah. Three ten even. Thanks. How about that windshield? Let it go. I'm in a hurry. All right. 
Well, I hope to see you again. Could be. So long. Business good, Bob? Oh, not bad. Can't complain. Well, hey, if it isn't Joe Simpson. <laughs> Where'd you drop from, Joe? I've been up the coast. Good enough. Say, I own this place now, you know? Yeah, I figured that when I saw that Robert Q. Maxwell on the side. <laughs> yeah. Like being a service station owner? Oh, it's better than working for somebody else. Not enough repair work, though. So plenty of gas and oil, but me, I, I like the engine job. Yeah, that's what I thought. Something on your mind, Joe? Oh, nothing special. Only, um, up the coast I've been in touch with the lumbering boys, mining and, uh, fishermen. Yeah. But, um, look, Bob... You know gas engines pretty well. How about diesel and marine engines? Well, I guess there's nothing about machinery that stumped me for very long. <laughs> Confident, eh? Well, when you've been chucked around the way I've been, you just naturally figure if you don't want a proposition to lick you, you've got to lick it. Well, look, uh, I've got a little proposition that might interest you. Oh? How would you like to see painted on a signboard, Simpson Maxwell Limited, machinery? What? British Columbia's growing fast, Bob, especially upcountry. And it's powered by gasoline and diesel engines. So I thought that you and oh, I come might... on, Joe. Let you and me go have a cup of coffee and talk this over. Wherever I went, I heard it, Bob. Not only in Prince Rupert, but at Britannia Mines in the long... Say, what are you looking at? Oh, go ahead, Joe. I'm listening. Like fun you're listening. What is it, a girl? A girl with a black hat over there, see? <laughs> Since when are you rubbernecking? Who's rubbernecking? You're supposed to be the hard-boiled, impervious bachelor. Yeah, but this girl's different. <laughs> From what? Oh, you want a punch in the nose, Joe? You're the handsome E-man type. Why don't you go over and talk to her? Sweep her off her feet. And that's just what I'm going to do. See you Sunday, Joe. Hey, wait a minute. Well, I'll be a... Well! Do you mind if I talk to you? I beg your pardon? I said, do you... Uh, my name is Bob Maxwell. Robert Q. Maxwell. I, I hope you won't misunderstand, but I couldn't help. But your friend is making signs to you. Yeah, he's got St. Vitus dance. Can I take you home? Now, wait a minute. I mean, may I see you home to your place? No, thank you. There are lots of streetcars. No, but I mean... Now, I... don't explain. And don't follow me. I might have to call a police. Well, what do you know about that? <laughs> what a dame. The fact of the matter is, Bob, that what those guys up on the coast need as much as machinery is service. I don't just mean service for the machines... I mean, supplies generally, you know, food and certain kinds of clothing and... You're not paying the slightest bit of attention to me. Oh, I'm sorry, Joe. Something's wrong with me. I guess I'm sick. Sick? <laughs> You're as strong as an ox. Well, an ox can be sick. It's that girl, Don't then. be silly. What girl? Never heard of anything so ridiculous in my life. Why, I never her even... Her name is Holly Metcalf. What? I said her name is Holly Metcalf. Huh? She works in a credit office. Hey, how did you find out? <laughs> I'd have told you last night if you hadn't rushed off like that. Hey, Joe, you mean you know her? <laughs> no. <laughs> but she's a friend of Jack and Jean Dalton. Holy bald-headed... Joe, what are you doing tonight? 
Oh, nothing special. Oh, but... yes, you are. You and I are going to play cards with Jack and Jean Dalton. Good old Jack and Jean Dalton. Salt of the earth. Was he good looking, Holly? Tall, dark. Uh huh. The He-Man type? Oh, I love the He-Man type. He was the headstrong type anyway. Oh, gee, I love to be swept off my feet. Why didn't you let him sweep you off your feet? Well, it didn't seem quite the thing to do at the time. I bet you wish you had, huh? Well, don't jump at conclusions, Pat. Oh, gee, Holly, you're so beautiful. It's no wonder things happen to you. Nothing ever happens to me. Oh, what did you say his name was? He said it was Bob Maxwell. Well, look, why don't you look up his rating? What's the use of working in the credit office if you can't check a boy's credit rating? Oh, I... I don't like to. Oh, come on. We all do it. You've done it yourself. What's the matter, Holly? You're scared? Of course I'm not scared. What's it to be scared about? It's only that... Well, Yeah, I I know. When you really fall for a guy, it doesn't matter if he's the worst credit risk in Vancouver. Who said I was falling for anyone? I'll look him up right now. Maxwell. M. M. Gee, I'm as excited as you are, Holly. I hope he's okay. I should die if he wasn't... Oh, I mean, of course, now it doesn't make any difference to me. Robert Q. Robert Q, you got it. What's it say? I wonder what the Q stands for. What's it say, Holly? He's all right, Pat. He's all right. A solid citizen. Gee. Gee, I... I don't deserve it, Holly. That's all there is to it. I just don't deserve it. What, darling? My luck. Meaning me? Yeah. I couldn't go on forever saying no. You could never I? did say no. <laughs> Not to you, darling. But to myself, I did. Oh, you did? Oh, a girl always does. You mean you didn't like me at first? I liked you too much. But you were so um, overpowering. You mowed me down. Picture anyone mowing you down. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's next week now. I don't suppose I could get out of it if I wanted to. Or could I? Well, you could desert me at the altar. Oh, but it's the groom who does that. Oh, Butch. Gee, we're going to be so happy. Now, at last, I'm going to have something to work for. Now, you've always had something to work for, Bob, and you know it. You're one of those bachelors that make women frantic. The self-sufficient kind. Well, you know me. I've had to work for everything. I've been everything from office boy to ditch digger. Salesman to racetrack driver. Machines are my thing. Machines and and people and the development of this country. I don't want to be just the ordinary self-made man, Butch. I believe in Canada and its future. I want to grow with it. But I know there are things, bigger things than just making money. I didn't lick my background just to stack up a pile of chips. I want to be able to look back someday and see business booming and people happy all over British Columbia, all over Canada, and be able to feel that, well, that that I had a hand in it, that if it hadn't been for me, a lot of that prosperity and security wouldn't exist. I want to share it. Sure. I want to share it. I want to share it for you (laughs) and for the kids and for myself, too. Because I know what it's like to be hungry. I don't ever want to feel that I got up there on the backs of others and left a lot of unhappiness and bad will behind. That's not the Canadian way, as, as I see it anyway. 
And it's not the way of the future. We're going to have a country here, Butch. As clean and gleaming and glorious as the best machine a man ever built. But with the human stuff in it and the opportunity for a guy to get out and do things on his own that makes a man bigger than any machine. That's the kind of idea I used to have buzzing in my head in the days when I sweated for eight bucks a week. That's the kind of idea that Joe and I are basing our company on. <laughs> Maybe it sounds kind of preachy. Huh? No. No, it doesn't sound preachy. Sounds like the man I'm going to marry. It sounds like the man every girl in this country would marry if she could. So you getting a cold, Butch? No, you silly goof. I, I'm crying. Crying? Hey, wait a minute. What have I done? Robert Q. Maxwell. Darling, sometimes I think you're the biggest goof a lady ever gave her heart to. I figured I'd be in uniform today. Ought to be out in the middle of the Atlantic with the Navy. All those years in Naval Reserve, and then they turned me down for active service. I know, Bob. I know just how you feel. But, gee, kid, don't you realize how important our own job is? Why, look, the fishing fleet is doing a lot to feed Britain, and we're helping keep that fleet going. Yeah, I know, and the lumber business and the mines. I know we're essential and all that, but... I sure wish I could get a crack at that, hon. You better take a crack at that big lumbering job on the island. Those boys need service and need it fast. And I ought to be up there today. You know, Joe, those diesel-powered cats are the sweetest piece of machinery that ever... Uh, gentlemen. Uh-huh. Reverend. Uh, which of you is the uh, groom? Me. I was in to see you yesterday, remember? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I was course. just telling my partner here about the new diesel cats the lumbering men are using over on the island. Say, I wish you could see them. Boy, uh, never... Pardon me, gentlemen. I would be glad to let you have my best for a business discussion, but uh, your bride is waiting at the door. And besides, I uh, I have a funeral in half an hour. You don't have to say another word, Mr. Frazier. My partner and I know your record in the lumber business. Well, fine, Mr. Maxwell. And I might as well say, while we're handing out the orchids, that you and Joe Simpson have cooked up a mighty fine reputation for yourself. Gee, thanks. You boys get out among us, understand our problems, give us service when service means everything. And I hear from the fishing fleet and the mining camps that they're beginning to talk about you fellas when they need help. Oh, thanks. That's just what we want. Now, about the contract. You got it ready to sign? Oh, not necessary, Mr. Frazier. We know you. You know us. Isn't that enough? <laughs> Shake. That's a white man's way of doing business. Sure. Say, Joe. Yeah? What about this Japanese fisherman's order, that uh, cooperative outfit of theirs? Oh, huh? I don't know. We've had more trouble with that outfit than enough. Uh, Hadaka, you mean, huh? Yeah, Hadaka. You know him? Oh, I've met him. Typical. Born in Japan. 
Only been here a few years and thinks he owns British uh, Columbia. Yeah. Well, remember the rule. Uh, yeah. Make them sign for everything. I know. <laughs> Say, Joe, you know, I wonder what would happen if they got into this war. It'd be tough on the ones that were born here. Uh, time enough to think about that when it happens. Time enough? You think so? Hmm? Mr. Hodaka, uh-oh. Yeah, I know what you mean. So sorry to trouble you, but there has been a slight mistake in my order. Your order hasn't been delivered yet, Mr. Hodaka. That is right mistake. Engine to be delivered by yesterday morning was not delivered. We didn't promise it by yesterday morning, Mr. Hodaka. Oh, so sorry. You did, please. We said we'd try, Mr. Hodaka, but the requirements of the armed services must come first, you know. Maintain... Since you have made breach of contract, it is not necessary a complete payment on the last order. Oh, now, wait a minute. Just a second. Look, Mr. Hodaka, we have both your contracts here in our files. There's a clause in both of them that failure to deliver on a specified date does not constitute a breach on our part. Oh, so sorry. Do not understand. You don't understand, eh? You understand well enough. You'll pay every last cent you owe us. Because if you don't, I'll take it out on your hide. Why is it you're the only people we have trouble with in this business? The only ones we have to make sign on the dotted line. God knows why we tell to you in the first place. There you stand, taking advantage of the democratic way of doing business and trying everything you can to twist it to your own ends. How do we know it's the fishing business you're in anyway? From what I hear, it's a damn sight more sinister business than that. And someday we may find it out to our cost. Oh, very interesting speech, Mr. Maxwell. Oh, so sorry. Cannot pay. You'll pay and you know it. Because you know we have you over a barrel. Oh, so you have me over a barrel now. Perhaps someday I have you over a barrel. Eh? That was three weeks before Japan came into the war. That day, we never guessed what horrors the years had in store for us. That day, we'd been at war for more than two years. But we didn't even begin to dream what war meant. Even in 1942, when things were touch and go, we carried on our even way, grumbling about priorities and rationing and taxes and the number of demands that were made on our pocketbooks. We'd had blackouts on the Pacific coast, and we had a dim out every night... We thought the war had come to our doorstep. But we were only kidding ourselves. In 1943, things began to get really grim. Then in 1944... But that's history now. History written by Nazi historians and taught by Nazi teachers. History forced down the throats of Canadian slaves by the German master race. That's the history that proves you and I never knew for one second what Hitler meant by total war. We were too busy looking after our own comforts and making excuses to one another. Well, we know where we stand now. Canada is under the Nazi jackboot. And the province west of the Rockies, the province we once so proudly called British Columbia, is the part of Canada Hitler gave to his yellow-skinned allies of Japan... We know what humiliation means now in British Columbia. There's no kind of obscenity we haven't suffered. And there's nothing, nothing on earth we can do about it. There are things we could have done about it in 1942. Plenty of things. 
But that chance is gone, and gone forever. It is so interesting, is it not, Mr. Maxwell, that we should meet again, and this time you should be working for me. It's more interesting to you than it is to me, Colonel Adaka. You are still proud. We have cure for that. I have new orders. Orders? Orders from Tokyo. Orders from Tokyo. From now on, you will have the honor of delivering machinery for the Empire of Japan. You will be required to install each day of the year one Buddha marine engine for Japanese Navy. One a day, but that's impossible. Impossible? I can't get the skilled labor. There will be no scarcity of labor. Our German allies on the prairie countries are sending us a shipment of labor. But are they skilled? Do they know anything about marine engines? It will be your problem to make them skilled. Who's going to pay them? They will not be paid. They are difficult prisoners from concentration camps. They are slaves. All right, then where are we going to get the equipment? It will be provided. You see, Mr. Maxwell, there is no question of priorities now. Under our system, only the government has rights or privileges. Bob! Oh, Bob! Holly! Oh, it's so lovely, Mrs. Maxwell. Bob, I, I, I simply have to see you. You shouldn't have come here, Holly. Bob, I, I've just had a visit from the Civil Guard. What? Ah, Civil Guard. I'm to be taken away tomorrow. Taken away? Taken away where? They wouldn't say. Just that I'm to be ready to leave. Do you know anything about this, Hadaka? Colonel Hadaka. Do you know anything about it? Yes. Oh, Colonel Hadaka, surely they wouldn't separate Bob and me? Fear that will be necessary. Yes. So sorry. Oh, my God. Oh, what are they going to do with me? Do not worry. I, Colonel Hadaka, will personally look after you, Mrs. Maxwell. Hadaka, if you have any idea, you're going to... So sorry, Mr. Maxwell. There is nothing you can do about it. Bob! If you are obedient, Mrs. Maxwell, you will be well looked after. Obedient? If you are not, so sorry. Oh, Bob! Colonel Hadaka, if I'm to be separated from my wife... Surely, if you will give us just a moment to say goodbye. Highly unusual. But for so lovely, Mrs. Maxwell. Yes. We'll step aside your door. But only a moment, please. Bob. Darling, what shall I do? Butch. This is it. I want you to go home. Straight home, you understand? Yes, darling. I have something to attend to here, so... So I may be delayed. If I can, I'll get back. If not, if I'm not home by the time the civil guard arrives for you in the morning, you know what to do. Oh, Bob. I want you to promise me, Holly. Promise me you won't let them get you alive. But if you're not home, where will you be? Don't worry, darling. I won't be alive. I'll be waiting for you. Out there. Wherever it is. I'll be waiting for you. Yes. He's coming back. Goodbye, Butch. Kiss me, Bob. Goodbye, my darling. So sorry. Cannot delay longer. Must insist. I'm going. 
I'll see you out there, Bob. You have been very fortunate to have such a lovely wife, Mr. Maxwell. Yeah, very fortunate. Now, Mr. Maxwell, it is necessary for me to inspect the new diesel engine installations on the military highway equipment. The rock crusher? Yes. In the morning, you are to have a visit from the honorable delegation from Supreme Command. General Ishawa, Admiral Gucci, and party. This is great honor for you. But first, I must make sure all is ready for them to see. A delegation in the morning, eh? They want to see the rock crusher too, will they? They will inspect everything. Yeah, naturally. Well, we'll go outside then, and you can see the machine from the catwalk. I'll throw the switch if you'll follow me this way. For your sake, I hope everything is in order, Mr. Maxwell. This way, please, Colonel Adaka. Be careful. The catwalk is very greasy. It's easy to slip. We'll be careful, Mr. Maxwell. I am too important man to lose. See down there? That's the first finished rock crusher below there. Each of those plungers is capable of pulverizing 100 tons of rock per hour. Highly efficient, honorable machine can crush rocks as Japanese Empire crushed Canada, Mr. Maxwell. So sorry for unhappy simmery. Oh, don't apologize, Colonel Adaka. You might as well go out with a wisecrack. Oh, oh, no you... use, my little friend. Over you go. Darling, where are you? You haven't come for me. You must be waiting for me out there. The civil guard will be here any minute. Dear God, help me to be strong. Help me to be grateful for the happiness I've had. And not to be afraid to die. Now that I must die... Dear God, please, somehow, make all this suffering not be in vain. We failed because we lacked the vision and the faith. Because we thought we could win with anything less than our all. Give the children of the future a chance to redeem what we lost. Let Bob's dream come true. Let there be a day of happy people. People who are not denied the right to work when they're willing and able to work. People who earn the right to security. That is the right of every man and woman who's willing to sacrifice to gain it. As Bob said, let the world of tomorrow be a world of clean and gleaming and glorious as the best machine man ever built. But with the human stuff in it. And the opportunity to do things that makes a man bigger than any machine. 
Let the people of tomorrow know that there is no birth without travail. No victory without self-denial. No happiness for the individual until he sinks himself in the good of all. What about it, Canada? Can we, will we make sure that Nazi eyes on Canada will never become Nazi feet on Canada? Tomorrow is the day, the day when our victory alone begins to roll up the overwhelming proof that to us in Canada, nothing matters now but victory. <laughs> I have been asked by the Honorable J.L. Ilsley, Minister of Finance, to thank you, Miss Judith Evelyn and Mr. Vincent Price, for your splendid performances tonight. Thank you, Mr. Green. And we'd like to send our thanks in return to Mr. Ilsley and all his co-workers for giving Miss Evelyn and myself the opportunity to tell Canada Bob and Holly Maxwell's story. It was especially exciting for me to be here tonight because I was brought up in Canada. And I lived for quite some time in Vancouver. And to think that Vancouver and the other cities and towns of British Columbia could someday be under the flag of Imperial Japan has made me realize indeed that nothing matters now but victory. Miss Evelyn and I talked to Bob and Holly Maxwell in Vancouver by telephone this morning. And what they said to us at the end of our conversation, we'd like to have them repeat to you now. Come in, Vancouver. Well, what we said this morning, Mr. Price, I'm sure everybody has said in their hearts, now, right now, is the time for us to put every nickel, dime, and dollar we own into the bonds that pay off and the dividends of victory. Bob's right. As Miss Evelyn said, nothing matters now but victory. When you think of what might happen if our money goes anywhere else, it's easy to see that today's money in victory bonds for war is tomorrow's money in safekeeping for peace. Next week, at this same hour, the final chapter in the story of Nazi eyes on Canada. A story of a town on the western prairies, told by Orson Welles. <laughs>